Thank you so much for joining us today at our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in five different locations. And our goal is to help you on your spiritual journey to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference in the lives around you. If you'd like to learn more about our Savior's Church or how to get involved, visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. We are continuing... Uh, in Acts chapter 15, Pastor Scott began last week. Let me just tell you, I just want to say this. I'm sure I've said this before. We are so blessed with the ministry of Pastor Scott. I'm just telling you, just amazing. Just absolutely amazing when he begins to just break the word apart. There's so much wisdom there and we are so very, very blessed. Hey, so Acts chapter 15 uh, he spoke last week. I texted our team on Monday of last week and I, I said this. I said, I would dare to say that we have the only pastor in America who spoke on circumcision for Thanksgiving. All <laughs> right. And uh, so we want to continue. We want to wrap up uh, Acts chapter 15 today. And I want to talk to you about Conflict Resolution 101. All right, now, here's, I just saw somebody roll their eyes. All right, so, I'm not going to point. All right, so, um, maybe something happened at the Thanksgiving table we need to deal with. Hey, so, basically, I kind of want to walk you through a counseling session. Is that all right? Can we do, you know, I have a counseling center and I, I, I counsel people. And so, I kind of want to walk you through a counseling session on conflict resolution. Now, that's the good news. The bad news is we're going to swipe everybody's credit card on the way out so you can pay for this session. All right. All right. So we're looking at Acts chapter 15. We're wrapping up Acts chapter 15 verses 36 through uh, 41. And it says, and after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Now, Barnabas wanted to take with him John called Mark, but Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. Let me just pause here. If you go back to Acts chapter 13, verse 13, you will see that on a missionary journey, John Mark literally just leaves. He commits to the journey, but then he leaves. The Bible doesn't give a reason why, but it really made Paul mad. It frustrated Paul to the point that here in chapter 15, he's basically telling Barnabas, we're not taking John Mark. He already left once. We're not, we're not taking him on this journey for him to leave again. And so, so Paul had obviously held on to his frustration. Right. So Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. Verse 39. And there arose a sharp disagreement. That's a conflict. Right. A sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Now, here's what you need to remember. There's only one person who walked the face of the earth that was perfect. Right. Who was that? It was Jesus. Right. So none of us are perfect, including the Apostle Paul who wrote two thirds of the New Testament. So 
the Apostle Paul here is basically frustrated with John Mark to the point that he's willing to separate from Barnabas. So he's got this conflict. He's holding on to something there that he has not resolved. And at this point shows no interest in resolving. Of course, we do see in 2 Timothy chapter 4, we do see that Paul calls for John Mark to help him in the ministry again. So at some point in time, there was some reconciliation. But this is the Apostle Paul. This is the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 7 who said, what I know I should do, I don't do. And what I know I shouldn't do, I find myself doing. How many of you can relate to that? Right? Somebody said amen really loud. (laughs) We're going to pray. So I want to talk to you about resolving conflict. Listen to me. God created us for relationship. First with himself and then with one another. You remember that Adam there in the book of Genesis is in the Garden of Eden. It is perfect. After each day of creation, after God created the heavens and the earth, the the plant life and animal life, after every day of creation, God said it is good. Until God created Adam And God surveyed his new creation. Adam was sinless and pure. And yet for the first time in recorded history, God said, this isn't good. He saw that Adam was all by himself. There was no one there to be a companion for him. There was no one there to to, to walk through the, the victories as well as the defeats of life. So God, you know the story. God caused a deep sleep to come over Adam and he took a rib from Adam's side and he used it to fashion Eve. Let me just, this is not a marriage session, but let me just give you a little marriage nugget. God called Eve Adam's helpmate. It was God's way of saying Adam needed help. Right? That Adam by himself wasn't good. He needed some help. And our wives have been trying to tell us that for years. You need help. God created us for a relationship and we are much better together than we are apart. And that's not just in our marriages. That's in our friendships. That's in our families. That's in our churches. God has put in us a desire for relationship first with himself and and, and then with one another. And let me just remind us today, Satan is always working against the plan of God. Always working against the plan of God. And there's nothing he would love more to bring division to your marriage, to your family, to the church. There's nothing the enemy would love more than to separate you from the people that God wants to use in your life. And so conflict comes into play. Now, this is what I want to do real quick. I want to pray. Because I want to ask the Holy Spirit to just reveal to us Maybe things are people that we need to make things right with. Is that okay? Let's pray. Father, Lord, thank you for your word. God, thank you for the truth of your word. God, thank you that you use your word, Father, to dig deep within us. And Holy Spirit, we welcome you today. We welcome you today to take this word and use it to reveal to us things that we need to deal with. 
maybe in our own lives, maybe in relationships with someone. Maybe it's to share this with someone else. But Holy Spirit, we pray that you would give us wisdom and understanding today of things that we should deal with. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So conflict and broken relationships aren't new. Here we see it in Acts chapter 15. Most of us could tell stories of how we dealt with conflict, right? And some stories ended really good and some stories ended really bad. Like the conflict just got worse, right? One of the most important lessons in life that we can learn is conflict resolution. Because when we resolve, learn how to resolve uh, conflict, it will result in healthier relationships. And let me just remind you, conflict is not going away. Right. Maybe your story literally happened at Thanksgiving, the Thanksgiving table. And you walked away from there with conflict with a family member or with a friend. And God wants you to deal with that. So when you in order to learn how to deal with conflict many times, especially in marriage, we'll go to a counselor. Right. I remember the time Tara looked at me and said, we need to go see somebody. I'm like, girl, I'm the only counselor you need. Right. She didn't listen to me and she didn't pay me. So I don't know what that means. Hey, ladies, can I give you a little tidbit? One of the differences between men and women is when women don't know how to do something, they typically figure it out. When men don't know how to do something, we typically do nothing because we're ego driven and we don't want to admit we don't know what we're doing. Right. It's why many times women come to counseling by themselves Because their husband doesn't want to sit in front of another man going, I don't know how to fix my wife or my marriage. Right. And so. But listen, if we're going to walk in healthy relationships, we've got to do something to make sure that there is unity in our marriage, unity with our children, unity with our family, with our friends. Because, again, conflict is not going away. So we've got to learn how to deal with it. We can learn from God's word. How to resolve conflict as well as well as how to reconcile broken relationships. Maybe it's again your friendship or family or somebody at work. One thing to remember is we're all imperfect people, which means we do a lot of things imperfectly. Amen. So here's what I want to know. Do you want to be blessed today? We all want to be blessed, right? So Jesus In his most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, uh, it goes from Matthew 5 to a portion of Matthew 7. Jesus walks us through the Beatitudes. And he literally gives us ways or things that we can do in order to be blessed. And so I want to be blessed today. I know that you want to be blessed today. So one of the things that Jesus said is found in Matthew chapter 5 verse 9 when he said, Blessed are the peacemakers. For they shall be called the children of God. Let me just stop there for a second. Our world is full of conflict. Listen, again, I think it's the enemy's goal to just bring conflict, to keep us at war with each other, uh, to keep us at, at war and in conflict with one another. But Jesus says here, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. You know why? Because God came to bring peace. Ultimately, God brings peace. I understand that that. 
Christianity can be divisive, right? Because if you stand up for what you believe, it's going to cause some division, some righteous division. But ultimately, God came that we would have peace, right? He said the peace that passes all understanding. So when we are peacemakers, we are a reflection of Christ. Many people have a misconception about what peace looks like. They think that peace is simply avoiding conflict, just not dealing with stuff. Listen, peace is not the avoidance of a problem. If you refuse to deal with an issue, it's just going to lead to bigger issues, right? Because you can only stuff so long before it's coming up. And when it comes up, it's coming up with pressure, right? So peace isn't the absence of dealing with stuff. No, we, in order to be in a healthy relationship, we've got to deal with stuff. We've got to deal with differences. We've got to deal with hurts and frustrations. Avoidance doesn't fix the problem either. It just prolongs it. And and again, many times it makes it worse. So peace is also not accomplished by appeasement. Some people, they just want peace at all costs. So even though they're hurt, they'll just tell you, oh, it's okay. It doesn't matter. Can I just tell you, appeasement ends up, you end up being resentful because you can only take so much before you start to blame others. So let me tell you, I want to walk you through six steps to resolving conflict. All right. Number one, take the first step. Do not wait on them. If you're dealing with conflict, you need to take the very first step. Step And maybe right now you're thinking about a person and you're thinking, but it was their fault. It was definitely their fault. Well, that may be true, but you still got to take the first step. You know why? Because Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. When you take that first step, you begin a process to making peace with whoever it is that you're offended by. In fact, here's how important Jesus says peace is. Scripture says it's more important that you make peace with your fellow man than you be in church today. Listen to this scripture. And again, I want you to think for a minute who you're in conflict with, if if anybody. Matthew chapter 5, verses 23 and 24. So if you are offering your gift at the altar... And remember that your brother has something against you. This is very interesting because he doesn't say if you have something against your brother. He says, if if you know somebody is offended with you. Leave your gift there before the altar as a pastor. I'm glad Jesus said, just leave your offering here. We'll take care of it. All right. Um, First, go and be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Can I just tell you, God wants our authenticity more than he wants our offerings. God wants our authenticity more than he wants our offering. You know how it is. You get in a fight on the way to church with your spouse or your kids and you're you're hollering and screaming and you're calling names. And then you walk in the door and you're like, oh, bless the Lord, brother. So good. And your kids are like, who is that? This is a true story. Uh, when I was on staff at Crossroads, some of you 
back in your clubbing days where we remember the club El Cido's, right? You remember El Cido's? Well, it was about, I don't know, half mile, mile from Crossroads Church. And this lady came into church and she said, Pastor David, I really need you to pray with me. She said, me and my husband got in a really, really bad fight on the way to church. And I just need you to pray that God would help us to make peace. I said, well, go get your husband. Let me pray for both of y'all. She goes, oh, I left him at El Cido's. She said, I kicked him out the car. He's at El Cido's. I'm like, you left your husband. Oh, yeah, I left him. Listen, we fight on the way to church and then we come in as if everything is good with us in Jesus. Listen, if things aren't good with your fellow man, things aren't always good with Jesus either. That's why Jesus says, listen, leave your gift here. Go make things right and then come back. One of the things that I don't think the church deals with enough is in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, which is communion. Because the Bible says in the description of taking communion, it go, Paul goes into this whole deal in 1 Corinthians 11 about not taking communion in an unworthy manner, which means don't take communion with sin in your heart. And he literally goes on to say that some of you are sick and some have died because they've taken communion in an unworthy manner. And listen When you are in conflict with someone, when you are allowing the enemy to control your mind, having thoughts of anger and maybe hatred and bitterness towards someone, you need to make that right. And you may need to make that right before you receive communion. The reason we need to take the first step is because conflict isn't resolved accidentally. It is resolved through intentionality. Let me just remind you, conflict never resolves itself. Conflict never resolves itself. It's not going away. And the only way to resolve conflict is to face it. Many times we don't face, we don't deal with conflict out of fear. We don't know what to do. We don't know what to say. We don't know how to do it. And this is nothing new. You remember Genesis chapter three? The Bible says that Adam walked with God in the cool of the day. Every day, Adam and God would walk together. And then Adam and Eve ate of the fruit. And then, you know the story. God comes looking for Adam for their daily walk. And Adam's hiding. And listen to Adam's response in chapter 3, verse 10. He said, I heard the sound of you in the garden. And I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. You know what Adam's saying? I felt so vulnerable. I was so scared of being exposed that I hid. Listen, you can't have a healthy relationship without vulnerability. You can't have a healthy marriage without vulnerability. Can I just tell you, every relationship is a risk, including your marriage. Every relationship is a risk because if you want a healthy relationship, you've got to be vulnerable. You've got to expose some things, right? But you can't have a healthy relationship without being vulnerable. So we need to take the first step. Number two, we need to ask God for wisdom. James chapter one, verse five says this. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given him. Can I just tell you, if there's a conflict, the first step is 
to make a decision, to, to, to take some action. The sec- second step is to begin to pray that God would give you wisdom to go and deal with it. That God would give you discernment. That God would give you the right words to say. That God would give you a spirit of kindness when you go, right? And that God would give you the right timing. Can I just tell you, God wants to help us in every area of our lives and even in the area of dealing with conflict. So number three, the third point is this, take responsibility for your part. Even if you think you were right, if we're honest, we play a part in most conflicts as well. Even even if it just comes down to how we responded to the conflict, right? James chapter four, verse one. Man, I feel like y'all are quiet this morning. That turkey's still working on y'all. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You want something, but don't get it. Go read James chapter four. It talks about conflict and resolving conflict. He says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? What causes conflict? It comes from desires that are within us that are battle that are at battle. You want something, but you don't get it. Listen, self-centeredness is the first cause of conflict. The first cause of conflict is I want you to do it my way. I want you to see it my way. And I just want you to agree with me. Right. The first step, the first, uh, the first, the first uh, cause of conflict is self-centeredness. When I am, when I'm counseling a couple or even family member, a family that's dealing with conflict, sometimes they're arguing over the most silly, ridiculous things. I have a picture uh, on my computer of a divorce court. This is a true I meant to bring it and put it up on the screen. This is a a, a true scenario. It's a picture of a couple in divorce court dividing up their their uh, their cabbage patch dolls that they had collected. (laughs) Like, are you crazy? You can have all my cabbage patch dolls. I don't have any cabbage patch. Just in case you want to know. Don't pray for me. I don't have cabbage patch dolls. But I want to just step back and go, y'all sound like kids. But then I'm thinking, if they were listening to maybe me and some of Taryn's arguments, they'd say the same thing to me, right? It's self-centeredness. I want my way. If we, walk, if we go to the nursery, if we take a field trip this morning to the nursery, we would see little kids fighting over their toy that's not theirs and their way that's not really, they don't even know what's best for them. But there are times when we're dealing with conflict that we sound the same way. I think I may have shared this before, but it's good. You need to hear it again. First, first Corinthians 13 is what we call the love chapter. It's where the apostle Paul gives us a definition of what healthy love looks like. You remember it. You've been to a wedding. You've probably heard it read. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is long suffering. It does not boast. It isn't proud. It doesn't demand its own way. And then after he gives this healthy uh, description of love, the Apostle Paul goes into this kind of weird dialogue that doesn't really seem like it fits. And he goes, he begins to talk about when I was a child, I spoke as a child. 
I thought as a child and I understood as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. The Apostle Paul is saying this. It takes maturity to operate in healthy love. It takes maturity to be patient. Because we want it now. It takes maturity to not demand our our own way. It takes maturity to prefer someone above ourselves. And listen, self-centeredness is really marked by immaturity. Let's be honest. We all do it. We're all guilty of it. But it really comes down to immaturity. I want it now. Did you go to Black Friday? People stood in line. Some of you, I saw some of y'all in line on the news. And maybe because I was driving by and mad because you were in line before me. I don't know. I got to get the TV. The TV is going to be there on Saturday. And the price probably won't go up. But we we want it and we want it now. And it's ours. And self-centeredness is the first cause of conflict. Listen, it's always more rewarding to resolve a conflict than it is to dissolve a relationship. It's always more rewarding to resolve a conflict than to dissolve a relationship. If you're not sure what your part, what your part in the conflict is, let somebody help you. Sit down with, with somebody that loves you enough to be honest with you and just tell them the story. And let them help you that, you know, you didn't have to use those words. You shouldn't have used those words. You shouldn't have attacked that way. You shouldn't have, you shouldn't have gone with the volume. You shouldn't have. But let somebody help you to figure out what your part, what, what your part is. Now, here's what we need to know. You need to remember that we all see things through our lens, right? If you're counseling Tara and I and we're being honest, you're going to hear two different stories Because I'm going to tell you my story from my perspective. I'm right. She's wrong. Once again, she's not here this morning. I won't say that at 11 o'clock. So. Right. And she's going to tell the story from her. We're both being honest. We're just seeing it from our perspective. And so sometimes we need somebody to help us. A counselor, a pastor, a friend that loves us. Maybe a sibling that loves us. Let somebody help us see what we cannot see. The second cause of conflict is pride. Pride is the second cause of conflict. Proverbs chapter 13 verse 10 says, pride only leads to arguments. Pride leads to conflict. Humility diffuses conflict. Listen, pride leads to conflict. Humility diffuses conflict. Have you ever been really mad at somebody and like you were going to let them have it? You rehearsed it in your head like you were ready, like you were you had both guns on. You were ready to go and you got there and they were like, hey, listen, I just want to go first and just tell you, I am so sorry. I'm so sorry. I should have never. And you're like, what? What? You're not going to give me a chance to fight you. Right. Because listen. Humility literally diffuses Conflict. Number four, listen to their hurt and perspective. Listen to their hurt 
and perspective. There's always hurt in a conflict. You know this saying, but there's real truth here. Hurt people hurt people. Hurt people hurt people. And listen, their hurt may not even be about you, even though the conflict is with you. It may be transferred hurt. It may be projected hurt from a past relationship. Let me give you a principle. There's a principle called the principle of leaving and entering. And what the principle says is this. The way we leave one relationship determines how we enter the next. It's why the divorce rate among second marriages is higher than first. Because we get divorced. We have hurt. We have baggage. We have wounds. And we don't deal with it. And guess what we do? We bring it into the next marriage. Right? And then we project it on this spouse who has done nothing wrong. It's all about the last spouse that we didn't deal with. Right? That's why it's so important to be healthy. It's, it's, if you got mistreated at your job, if you don't deal with it, if you don't find forgiveness, if you don't let that go, you're going to go to the next job and you're going to kind of hold your boss at bay, not trusting him. We've got to deal with our wounds. We've got to deal with our hurt. We've got to deal with past unhealthy relationships. But when you're dealing with a conflict, when you're trying to resolve a conflict, look to, to their hurt and their perspective. Listen and look for emotion. It will reveal their hurt. When I'm counseling a couple or when I'm counseling people, I literally look for any sign of emotion Because when someone shows emotion, they're basically telling you where the hurt is. Just last week, I'm counseling a couple and he's just stoic the whole session. And I come to the end and I go, hey, isn't there something you want to say? And he starts talking, he's angry. And all of a sudden, he gets emotional for just a second. And I go, hey, tell tell me why you're emotional. And all of a sudden... Literally, he just starts sobbing. He'd been holding this in and he begins to reveal what the real hurt is. It's not about her. It's about a past relationship with his mom. Right. But if we just if we just pass over the emotion, then we never get down to the hurt to find out where the real problem is. James chapter one, verse 19, be quick to listen, slow to speak. And slow to get angry. Quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Listen to Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 through 5. It says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. And if you're familiar with Philippians chapter two, that's where he literally the very next verse says, Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. In other words, what he's saying is this. Jesus could have stayed in heaven. Jesus was on the same level as God and could have stayed there. Listen to verse seven, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. 
Can I just tell you, we are most like Christ when we are focused on the hurts of someone else. You might be in conflict with someone and you're looking for a fight. But God's looking to use you as an agent of healing. You're looking for a fight, but God wants to use you to simply help that person find forgiveness and healing from a wound. Sometimes when it comes to forgiveness, sometimes we got to practice Calvary forgiveness. Calvary forgiveness is this. Jesus is on the cross. He's been beaten. His side is pierced. There's a crown of thorns on his head. And he says this, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Let me tell you why it's Calvary forgiveness. Because they weren't even asking forgiveness because they didn't even know they needed forgiveness. Jesus offered forgiveness before they even knew they needed it. And sometimes we wait for people to ask for our forgiveness before we offer it. When sometimes if we want to defuse a conflict, we just got to go, hey, I know we both made mistakes. I just want you to know I forgive you. Listen, sometimes we've got to practice Calvary forgiveness. Sometimes we have to quit looking at how far people have to go instead of looking at how far they've come. I want to tell you about a friend of mine. His name is Pat. I asked Pat if I could share this story. Pat, Pat's wife brought him into counseling. Pat is a big old country boy. I mean, he is a country boy. He's got the accent and he's got all these sayings. One of my favorite sayings that Pat always says is, you can win a fight with a skunk, but you'll never smell the same. <laughs> that's wisdom. I don't know if it's in the Bible, but that's wisdom. You can win a fight with a skunk, but you'll never smell the same. And Pat's wife drug him to counseling because he wouldn't open up and he wasn't vulnerable. And he, but he's in counseling. He, got, he came. And on the third session, it's just me and Pat. And, and he had been closed off. He's very nice, super nice guy. He just, his wife has him there because he won't open up and he won't get emotional. He won't. I said, Pat, tell me your story. Pat grew up in Oklahoma. And his dad thought he was soft. And his dad, at 12 years old, decided he was going to make Pat into a man. So what Pat's dad did was he paid two brothers in the neighborhood to beat Pat up every afternoon. Every afternoon, Pat came home from school. He had an appointment with those two brothers who his dad would pay to beat Pat up. Think about that. Think about how unbelievable that is. And so Pat became hard. Pat made a decision that he was going to build a wall and not let people in. And when I heard his story, and yet he's there, and he's crying in front of me, I realized, yeah, Pat's got some way to go, but man, look how far he's come. He believes in Jesus. He goes to church every Sunday. He's in a men's group. He's sometimes we got to stop 
and hear people's story to see how far they've come instead of just focusing on how far they have to go. Number five, speak the truth in love. Speak the truth in love. You know people who say, oh, I just tell it how it is. Well, you can do that, but that's not always the best approach. Right? Speak the truth in love. Because it's not just what you say, but it's also how you say it. You can say the same thing two different ways and get two different responses. The other day I was driving and there was a street preacher. These street preachers are so funny to me because nobody's listening. But they're just preaching like there's a crowd of a thousand. And he's preaching for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. He's just like screaming and yelling. And, and I thought, that doesn't even represent the God that I serve. Because I think if Jesus was reading Romans chapter 3 verse 23... I think he would do it with love and compassion and look at us and go, hey, I know you're not perfect. Everyone has fallen short. And then he would go into something about forgiveness and his love for us. Listen, speak the truth in love. It's not just about what you say, but also how you say it. Can I just tell you, people change faster and easier when the truth is wrapped in love. Listen to Ephesians chapter four. Let no corrupting or harmful talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. When you go to resolve a conflict, just remember the goal isn't to rehash the conflict. The goal is to resolve the conflict. I think one of the mistakes we make is that even in trying to resolve conflict, we want to prove that we were right. Can I just tell you, you're missing the mark if that's the approach you take. And sometimes the best way to resolve conflict isn't even to talk about what happened. It's just to go, hey, I know we both made mistakes. Hey, I'm so sorry. Right? Because the goal isn't to rehash the conflict. It's to resolve the conflict. So, When you speak the truth in love, let me just say this to you. Sometimes, and this is just kind of a marriage tip for you, and you can use this in other relationships, but it's good in your marriage. Sometimes you need to have some off-limit words, right? If you're going to walk in a healthy relationship, maybe it could be a coworker, it could be a neighbor, it could be a friend. Maybe you need to look at them and go, hey, please don't use that word with me. Hey, when you use that word with me, Or it just makes me feel less than it reminds me of something that's a negative. Right. When I married Tara, Tara had been married before. And I don't know how long we were married and we got in an argument or something. And I was like, Tara, don't be dumb about this. And. Tara looked at me. She said, David, please don't ever say that to me again. She said, David, my first husband always told me how stupid I was. 
He always told me how dumb I was. And I know you don't mean it the same way, but it hurts the same way. There may be some trigger words that you just got to quit using. Because the goal is to resolve conflict. The goal is to not let the enemy win in your marriage. The goal is to not let the enemy win with your neighbor or your coworker. Number six, make reconciliation your goal, not absolute agreement. The goal is reconciliation, not absolute agreement. Listen, it's okay to disagree. You may have had a conflict over a specific issue or topic or or debate or something. And it's okay to go, hey, I don't agree with you, but it's good. Right? We don't all have to agree. And it's okay to see things differently. Can I just tell you, it's okay to resolve a conflict and then separate yourself from that relationship. There are some relationships that are just not healthy for us. There are some relationships that just are not for our benefit. You may have a ex-spouse that you need to resolve some conflict. That doesn't mean you need to walk in relationship with them, right? Some of you have a family member that doesn't believe in you and will never believe in you. You still need to resolve a conflict even if you don't walk in relationship with them. So the goal is to make reconciliation, not absolute agreement. Second Corinthians chapter five, listen to this. We'll wrap up with this. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself. So remember, we have this conflict with God, it's called sin, right? The wages of sin is, is death. We have this conflict with God. He is perfect and we are sinners. But through Christ on the cross, he reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Did you hear what that said? That he reconciled us to himself and now he wants us to go and reconcile others. He's given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you, this is 2 Corinthians 5, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Can I just remind you, I don't know how they hurt you. I don't know what they said to you. I don't know what they did to you, but we've got to walk with the understanding that we we represent God to our world. We represent God to our family. Can I just tell you, for some of you, you're the only Christian your family knows. How important is it for you to represent God well? We can't take this lightly. Can I just get on a little soapbox for one minute? When I see Christians on Facebook talking like they're lost because their anger is more important to them than their, than their witness, I guarantee you that grieves God.
James chapter 3, verse 18 says this, peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. If you go back to the book of Genesis, you will see that God established a law called the law of sowing and reaping, that what you sow, you will also reap. Can I just tell you, you never know when you're gonna need forgiveness. So we really should start sowing some forgiveness, amen? We really should sow some forgiveness instead of holding on to conflict. Today, remember, if you don't leave with anything else, just remember this, Satan wants you to live in conflict. Satan wants to bring division where God wants to bring unity. And you gotta make a decision. Who is gonna direct your path? The enemy who comes to steal, kill and destroy? or the savior who came that we would have life and life to the fullest. Let's pray. Father, thank you for today. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth that is there. Thank you for the truth that is there. Lord, we pray today that you would give us wisdom. We pray that you would give us a spirit of understanding. Father, we pray, Lord, that we wouldn't look for a fight, but we would look for reconciliation. And Father, we pray that you would guide us. God, that you would lead us and guide us in every conversation. And Lord, we trust you today because you're trustworthy. In Christ's name we pray. Everybody said amen.